The Bible talks about the weight of glory, um, which is interesting because glory means weight. And so it's the weight of weight put on our shoulders. And um, when we look in Scripture, Jesus says, Come, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden and cast your cares upon me. It's funny. It's an interesting dichotomy that as we lay off the weight of the world, God puts the weight of his glory on us in exchange. Um, And what happens when a place gets hit with the weight of glory? I think what people expect and what they desire is that Shekinah cloud, people falling out in the spirit and crazy things happening. Uh, But really all that happens is reverence. And some people, when miracles happen, that is reverence. Uh, But in case you were wondering, the somber tone, the, it was almost infectious. Uh, that, that word is reverence. Just a holy awe of God. Um, and it's beautiful. And it's actually the intention of worship is to be in awe of our God. And I, I think I definitely saw a genuine awe in this place today. And uh, I'm praying that's a sign of 2020. And the way we go, um, sometimes I think that awe should turn into shouts, but sometimes it becomes somber and it becomes introspective and contemplative about where we've come from and where we're going to go. Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Um, <laughs> with that being said, today is our Christmas service. Uh, every other church in the nation had it last week. Again, my bad. Every church this week is having a New Year's service. Again, my bad. <laughs> uh, our New Year's service is the third week of January. Again, my bad. Uh, but I don't regret it because the stillness message, if it paused the whole church, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, let it be known that I almost canceled this message uh, because I think stillness is so empowering what we're talking about right now. And if we begin a year in stillness, I think it will end in movement. Right, And so though I do believe January and February will see a lot of stillness, I think in March and April we'll start to see some shakings. And I think by the end of the year we'll see big things happen. And so know that that is the intention of this coming year. Uh, But today let's talk about gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's talk about Jesus. Last week we talked on testimony. And uh, this is the greatest testimony. Christians, as Christians, we're not called to celebrate the end of things. We celebrate the whole process. And the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because we are celebrating the beginning of a thing. Because as Christians who have faith, we believe that when God moves, it means it's a guarantee of something happening in the future. And so that means Christians don't just celebrate the finish line. We celebrate throughout because the hand of God is in the entire process. See, um, People will tell you that Christmas is a pagan holiday and that Christmas tree is actually definitely pagan. Um, I call it the pagan tree because it absolutely is a pagan tree. Um, But uh, the thing is, as long as we're not revering it, we're not celebrating it, it has no power on us. And what's interesting is I'm seeing a lot of Facebook posts. And this year what people are saying is, hey, Christians, just a reminder, Christmas is pagan. The pagan holidays of Christmas began in the year 270 AD. 
in the year 204, a church father wrote about him celebrating Christmas for God. And actually, history tells us that the celebration of Christ on Christmas predates the celebration of a pagan holiday. It's just misinformation. Though the Christmas tree is pagan. Um, <laughs> I'm not against the tree in here. It's just a good example of why people would say it is a pagan holiday. But no, it predates. And the argument people will make was, well, Jesus wasn't born in December. So then why were the church fathers in the year 200 celebrating Christmas in December? Interestingly enough, when they did the math, hey, Jesus was born most likely this date. Christians did something crazy. They counted back nine months. Landed in December and called it Conception Day. And the, rate, the beginning of Christmas celebration does not begin with, hey, as Christmas we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, actually originated as, hey, it's Christmas, we're celebrating the moment Mary was impregnated. This is not a pagan holiday, but the Christmas tree is. That's my running joke for the day, guys. Um, and we're going to have a Christmas tree next year, too, because it has no power. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I'm really excited about all of these things. I'm really excited for us to kind of get into the concept of Christmas and the conception of Christ. Because again, we weren't just celebrating the end of a thing. They were celebrating the nine months prior at the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> they took the beginning and thought, what else can we celebrate? Because God wasn't just moving at the birth of Christ. He was moving a lot before the birth of Christ. See, in the book of Malachi, God says, I'm done. I'm not talking to you anymore. We are not in relationship anymore until my Messiah comes. And God is quiet for 400 years. And at the end of those 400 years, go read it. Seven people, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And God wasn't just speaking at the end of those 400 years. He was landing on people again. Jesus wasn't born yet. But God was moving in anticipation because God celebrates the beginning of things, not just the end of things. And as Christians, we celebrate the beginning of things, not just the end of things. Because when you get saved, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices, even though there's a lot more work to do, because the angels are celebrating the beginning of a thing in our lives. And we can't so want the end that we don't appreciate the beginning. Having my son is awesome, but finding out my wife was pregnant was amazing. And we celebrated the whole process. It's just better now. Amen. Amen. So with this Christmas time, with this Christmas celebration, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I have been telling people I intend this message to be 15 minutes. We'll see what happens. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12, and we're going to talk about the three <laughs> wise men. There was definitely more than three. Like, definitely. Because when they brought their three gifts, the Bible says they opened their chests. <laughs> their giant chests of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or the magi, from the east 
came to Jerusalem. They were either coming from Persia or Babylon. But either way, it was the same people group. Or, no, there's a lot of people that think it came from Babylon. Um, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And Herod, the king, see that? <laughs> we have come to worship the king of the Jews. And then Herod, the king, is like, that's not me. <laughs> uh, he was troubled. That's an understatement. Listen, when you're a king and someone comes and the new king, that is not code for a peaceful transition. That is code for, hey, someone's going to try to kill me soon. He was wrong. But the implications there. He was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. How did all of Jerusalem know that three men showed up? They knew anywhere between 90, and we'll get into that, and 400 people showed up on horses with treasure, walked in through Jerusalem to the king and said, where's the real king? That's a big deal. This was the talk of the town. This wasn't some small secret. This was everything. <laughs> this, this is not some little baby manger. Oh, the three wise men. Jesus was probably two by the time the wise men got to him. Not even in a manger anymore. The Bible says he was in his home. And, and, and they just come in with an army, essentially, because the Magi would not have traveled without their guards, right? And so people are coming in strapped on horses saying, where's the real king? So Herod was troubled. <laughs> And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, O you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's intimate. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. This is probably when about three people showed up. Yo, you three, the three main guys, come here, let's talk. And secretly ascertained, yo, word of the day, ascertained. Uh, secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Listen, magi, that word, wise men most likely implies that they read the stars. God wasn't speaking to them from how God normally speaks. God was actually speaking to them according to what they knew. And what's interesting is what I love about our God is just, yes, he has a solid truth and facts about who he is, but how many of y'all know that he will use a lot of different things to get us where he intends us to go? Uh, when we teach the Bible, and we teach that the Bible is inerrant, meaning it has no mistakes, what we mean is, is that the Bible is inerrant in all that it teaches. And there's a distinct difference, because sometimes God will use people's naivety and use it to draw them unto him. The best example would be when Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. No, it's not. But that's the smallest seed in their culture. And it wasn't time to teach you there are seeds across the land that are smaller and those seeds. He was meeting them where they were at and saying, yo, this seed that's the smallest seed in your garden, that's your faith. 
And so the Bible is true in all that it teaches. And God, if you look across scripture, has used false prophets to teach his truth and still called them false, even though they spoke a good word. He has sent spirits. Uh Uh-oh, that's not comfortable. The Bible says that God sent the spirit of lying upon people one time. That's uncomfortable. But here's the thing. God will use what he's going to use to guide people to his good truth. And in this moment, he's looking at the astrologers who are worshiping false gods and using their false God to guide them to the real God. Joshua, it's already not going to be 15 minutes. Joshua goes into the promised land. And during a big fight with pagans, he announces the sun will not fall until I've killed your leader. And they fought past when the sun should fall and the sun stayed up. Well, pagans worship the sun. And what God was announcing was even your God bows before me, right? And so God used their God to teach them a lesson about him, right? And so God is not above that. You see him using Dagon, falling and bowing. He used a false God to bow before him, to teach that even your gods will bow before me. And in this moment, he's doing the same thing. The thing, you hold, the thing that you think holds so much power, what's well, going to lead you to real power? Amen? Um, It's why as Christians, by the way, just because we had an experience, we should always check it with the Bible. Experience does not always equal good doctrine, right? Sometimes it equals God used that (laughs) because he loves you and he had a plan and purpose for you. And if this is what it took, he was going to let it come to pass. Amen. Okay. And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently. Another good word, man. Herod is just like, Herod's on it. He's ascertaining. He's being diligent. I like this guy. I shouldn't, but I do. Um, For the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I want to come and worship the king that's going to dethrone me. That'll preach, though. (laughs) Right? The Bible often talks about us being the the, the king of our hearts. And, And when we put ourselves, we put ourselves on a throne. And so the whole concept is you have to get off of your throne, let Jesus sit on it and bow before that thing. It's a beautiful concept in Christianity. We bow before the thing we once hated because the Bible says we were desperately wicked and we hated our God. For after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child. Uh, If you read the story before, he was always an infant. And now he's a child. Because about two years has probably passed. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. (sighs) When John's father was muted because he tried to deny the word, And his mother says, my son will be named John. The Bible says that his father wrote, yes, I agree. And then once that happened, his tongue was opened and he rejoiced, which is the action of joy. The Bible says that Mary, when she was pregnant, went to go visit her cousin, aunt, because John was Jesus' cousin, so her aunt, her sister, eighth cousin, all the cousins. She went to visit family. And uh, when she went up (laughs) 
to her cousin, it says that John the Baptist in the stomach of his mother leapt for joy at the arrival of his Christ. See, this season becomes a season of anxiety for many people. But if we fit our gaze on what's important, this is a season of joy. When the angels appear to the shepherds, what do they say? Rejoice. Joy. And going into the house, not the inn, not the stable, not the word, I forget what they actually said in the Bible. Manger. Thank you. You're amazing. Stable, manger. Trench. Troth. I don't know. Um, but they're in a house now. Um, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped and worshipped him. I follow a star. I follow a pagan society. And yet when I was before the true king, I fell down and worshipped. Then opening their treasures... They opened their treasures. See, not like the American version of treasure where treasure is the gold inside. It's like literally the the carrying case. The treasures. And they opened their treasures on their horses with their people, right? Some people, scholars will say about 60, and then really like crazy scholars who love to go crazy will say about 400, right? So anywhere between 60 and 400 was most of the studies I could find. Men showed up. That's not including guards. That's not including people that are walking with them. That is just them. Is a lot of people at a house worshiping. The appropriate response to the beginning of a thing is to worship. And the reason why we worship is in faith and joy that the beginning of the thing guarantees the ending of a thing. Right? Salvation naturally creates a promise of sanctification, as in, Less of me in the world and more of Jesus in my life. And sanctification guarantees glorification, meaning that when Christ comes back, I will no longer be tempted. I'll have that perfect body that everyone's talking about in a perfect earth, not in heaven, on a perfect earth that has been done away with and remade perfect. And your salvation is a promise of that time. It's why so many things in the Old Testament, the Bible would call them shadows of things to come. Because God was teaching them to celebrate the big thing through the little thing. Um, One more verse. And, oh, they offered him gifts. Oh, my bad. Go back real quick. They offered him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's funny because I'm preaching on gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I almost just skipped the part that said gold, frankincense, and myrrh which is just good times. Uh, They offered him gifts, gold. Y'all say gold? Gold. Frankincense. Y'all say frankincense? Frankincense. Yo, what the heck happened? Let's try over again. Uh, Y'all say gold? Gold. Y'all say frankincense? Frankincense. Can y'all say myrrh? Myrrh. Murder. Judas. (laughs) And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Yo, God hasn't talked to people. Now he's talking to pagans. Not giving them signs. Yeah, they're sleeping, and he's like, listen, bro, stop. 
Go home. <laughs> don't talk to that guy. I don't want to smite you. Roll on. The God who speaks through dreams didn't stop speaking through dreams. I think we're going to lose the kids' ministry. Jesse's serious right now. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room, God, for the next who knows how long, Lord. Uh, We trust that you will speak, (laughs) that we can focus on the goodness that is you. And just be thankful for all that you've done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name I say, amen. Um, I, I, when I say my three points are short, like literally, like I don't even have notes uh, because notes are for the week. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, I do have a little bit of notes, but like not nearly as much as I normally have. And the reason being, I think most Sundays we come together and I think we treat sermons or the message as like, oh, I got to get a word. Almost like a word for me, a word for to make me feel better. When the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And it's never the point of a message to draw you closer to God, though I pray it does. It's always on the Holy Spirit. And he'll use anything he wants to use, even the pagan star. And um, Jesus, Herod gets real mad, and he's going to try to kill Jesus. And so they flee to Egypt. And the Bible says that they stayed there for many years until Herod died. So they couldn't work, but they had gold. God provided. He provided. Listen, a good, <laughs> a good sign about the beginning of your season is, is God providing for the beginning of that season. Right? Because when his son was going to have to go through a season of not being, being in a home where no one was working, he provided in advance and made a way beforehand that, you know what, this is how it's going to be. Just get ready and just get prepared. I'm not saying it's always financially, but I'm saying you can really feel when God's going to do something new in your life, you can really feel the buildup. But the next thing you have to do is, is do something with it and let God provide because Joseph, about twice in this story, almost stepped out. And God kept having to reel him back in. No, this is me. And the beginning of the thing was terrifying for Joseph, and he was, he was tempted to run, and, and God would constantly draw him back in. And, and so don't forget as we talk about that. That's kind of a side note. It wasn't in my, in my uh, notes at all. Um, but many of you are praying, God, are you doing this new thing? And uh, let's look at your life. Is there a way made for this new thing? Because usually God keeps us in stillness longer than we want to be kept. And here's why. I really believe this, and you can quote me on this. If God, if it really is a God dream, like really, like really is the beginning of something God's going to do in your life, your character will have to catch up. If the dream God gave you doesn't demand you grow as a person, then it's probably not from God. Because what God gives us is something that is so big that we're so not ready for that we begin through a process of preparation. And then when the time comes, we're prepared. Suddenly the gold shows up. And it's time to go. Amen? And those are the God things. And that's the point, though, is that. So what that instantly demands is I have to go into the pressure cooker. 
right? I've told you guys before, I think I told you this a few weeks ago, I'm kind of happy the church hasn't passed 100 people. I, I don't even know what I would do with myself. <laughs> you know, like, like this group that we're with, I'm just like, all right, let's figure it out, right? And I, I do think that I see big things God wants to do this year. And I'm recognizing in my secret place that as me as a person and my own character and who I am, God is working that into me because I don't believe I'm totally there yet. And I think many of us, if we agreed and saw where is God taking me and we looked at our personal life, we'd be like, you know what? I think I really need to grow. I think I really need to chase him in these areas. I think this old anxiety, this can't be with me if I'm going to go into that season because that season's terrifying. I think this old fear, I think this old lack of faith, I think this old pride, I think this old lack of submission, I think if I have this in my life, I won't make it to where I have to go. God, how can I get that? God, guide me along the path that will lead to that. And one day people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're ready. And it's beautiful. Anyway, go frankincense and myrrh. I fell off topic. I love you guys. <laughs> a lot of people believe, and I could just, this could just be conjecture, but I still think it's a great thing to talk about. Um, a lot of people believe the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh had a deeper meaning than simply oils and gold. A lot of people would say that gold, frankincense, and myrrh actually represented the life of Jesus. And even if it didn't, Let's talk about the life of Jesus. And to keep in mind as we go for the rest of this message, what I would love is for us to maybe be a little less interested in how does this apply to my life or how does this make me better and a little more interested in this is a great opportunity to run the basics again and just be reminded that God is good. Amen? Amen. Gold represents the divinity of Christ. Y'all know Christ is fully God? Y'all know that he's fully man? Deacon knows. Anyone else know? Oh, we're going we're gonna to talk back today. You want this to be 15 minutes? You better start the conversation. Do you believe God is fully God? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is fully God? Do you believe the whole, oh, a little less quiet. So everyone believes God's God, but like Jesus, ooh, no way, I don't believe it. Do y'all believe Jesus is God? Yo, if you don't know that much, like, forget the series we've been planning. Like, we're going to go back to, yo, God, Jesus. Let's, like, 101 Bible. Let's get into it. Um, God, Jesus, same thing, right? Jesus is fully God. Amen. He is not a demigod. He is not 50-50. He is 100-100. That is bad math. Yeah, but God is 100-100-100. So he's 300 in the fullness of who he is. That's also bad math. Let's just, let's not talk about math, right? God made math. Uh, you, right? The Bible says that you have a soul, a spirit, and a body. You are a 300% something. That's bad math. Let's just keep rolling, right? Uh, God is not 50-50. God is 100-100. And Jesus is who I really am talking about when I keep saying God. Because I always use him so interchangeably, but today I really need to just say with Jesus. Um, Jesus is fully God. And a lot of people believe that the gold will represent the divinity of Jesus. It would represent the beginning because before Jesus stepped in to man, he was God. So the beginning of Jesus was fully God. Gold in ancient times was seen as a sign of deity, which is why they used gold in a lot of pagan practices. 
and a lot of non-pagan practices. Also, gold shows us purity uh, for the transparent look it gets when it's pure. <laughs> the Bible talks about the streets are paved with gold in heaven, that they're clear in the perf- perfect type of gold, and that is a picture, right, because streets are foundational, right? And so, like, literally the foundation of heaven is God and his divinity, and who he is. And so I want to take you to a verse, Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him, who's him? Jesus. Who's him? Jesus. <laughs> and is he divine? Yes. It, is Jesus God? Yes. Y'all, seriously. Yes. You, you guys always shout so much louder, and then when I say, is Jesus God, it gets a little more quiet. I, I want to talk about that. Like, you guys okay? Do, you, do we need to hug everyone? Um, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells bodily. This should be theology 101. I'm a little scared. Um, give a shout because Jesus is God. <laughs> okay, touch your neighbor. Yeah, I'm going to do that thing and say, wake up. Grab him, I should put a little makeup. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that song is so bad uh and it's just now a part of the sermon right but paul used secular uh scholars and i guess i just use a secular scholar he's definitely anti-government um <laughs> anyway wake up for in him is the fullness of deity jesus is not partially god he is fully God. And that is the basis of our theology. Listen. The Bible teaches that because of Adam, we were born in sin. The reason why it had to be God that came and died for us is because Jesus had no sin nature. So Jesus was the first person born since Adam that wasn't born in sin. So literally, it starts with Jesus had the beginning we could never have. A lot of, he lived the life we couldn't live. He also had the beginning we couldn't have. Because he's the only person that was born of a father who was sinless. That's why Joseph and Mary didn't have a kid and then God anointed that baby. It had to come from a father who was perfect. And yet there's only one. So Jesus didn't just live the life we couldn't live. He had the beginning we couldn't have. And so when we become born again, that's where the Bible says that God becomes our father. Because now we have the beginning that he had. And that's why I say often people, when they're using an excuse for their sins, they'll say, well, I was born this way. And I've had this catchy thing that I've been throwing at people because it's so much fun. I'm like, yeah, but you weren't born again that way. Because being born with the sin is okay, but being born again is not okay to have a sin because now you have no excuse because dad's perfect, right? And so Jesus did it first, and then once we are born again, remember the guy who's like, wait, you want me to jump back in my mother's womb? Hilarious. Uh, Just absolutely sarcastic. That guy was so sarcastic with Jesus. That is next level. But Jesus basically was like, yeah. You guys like, and the Bible says he walked away confused. And it's like, yeah, no duh. He's like trying to. (laughs) Um, 
yo, I should be in kids ministry today. <laughs> I had such a good time in worship. And uh, as, as Cody learned last night, when I'm like having a good time in worship, like instant immaturity. It's amazing. But Jesus has come to me like a child. I don't think he meant maturity wise, but YOLO, you know. Um, <laughs> so Jesus was born this way first. And once we accept him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you are born again. You put on a new creation. And this creation is not born with a sin nature. And that is why, as Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, those things I want to do, I can't. The things that I want to do, I won't do. I mix that up. You get what I'm saying, though. Basically, what happens is there's a bit of war in you. And that's why when you want to go watch that thing you shouldn't watch, you want to talk to that person the way you shouldn't talk to them, or when someone's giving you good advice, but you kind of get pissed about it, that, that little war you have inside of yourself, that's because there's a part of you that's actually perfected before God. And it's being like, yo, don't do that. And there's a part of you that has fallen as hell. <laughs> That's not even an expression. Um, he has fallen, and it's like, do it. Like, what's the worst that can happen, right? That's why you get the concept of the angel and the demon on your shoulders. And one of my favorite jokes in all of the Emperor New Groove is when the devil, like, does this handstand, and then he's like, what does that have to do with anything? And the angel's like, no, no, no. He's got a point. And it's just the most ridiculous joke of all time. And my second point, why should I do this? My first point. My second point, look what I can do. What does that have to do? No, no, no. Now he's got a point. It's a great joke. Fantastic. Bad theology. Fantastic point. Um, but that's why we feel that thing, right? And that's why the Bible says when Jesus comes back, there will be a glorification. Because something that people forget when they say, oh, the, de- the flesh is desperately wicked. They forget that in the Psalms, David said, Lord, even my flesh cries for you. What's that? Y'all, we call that sanctification. Which takes me to point two, sanctification, frankincense. When you go into the temples and the altars back in the Old Testament, if you read the book of Exodus and Leviticus, when God's like, keep incense lit to me, one of the incenses was frankincense. It's a symbol of worship. It's a sap is how it starts. A little peg goes into the tree and it drips out. And they make the oil out of that. Or as some preachers say, the oil. The oil. The oil of the anointing. Um, that's a real thing, and I love it. All those preachers, they're like my favorite preachers. But they say that, and I have a moment. They also say strength. The strength of God. And like, I'm like, strength, because I'm white as heck. Um, yeah, preach. Thank you, Jesse. Jesse's with me. She's like, yeah, me too. Can't even say enchilada right. Um, <laughs> no, not when I go to like a, a Mexican restaurant. They're like enchilada. Like it's just I can't do it. I can't even begin. Um, what was I talking about? Okay, yeah. So the life of Christ, right? So this is why it won't be 15 minutes because what's happening? Uh, the life of Christ, right? So Christ didn't just, he wasn't just born in a way we couldn't be born, but now we're born that way. He also lived the life we couldn't live because we are fallen, because we do have temptations. And let's face it, you've probably given into 10 today and let's not even count the rest of the week, right? Just whether it's the little thing of annoyance when Jesus says, if you've done it in your heart, it's as if you've done it. Y'all, some terrible things happen in my heart sometimes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, Jesus loves you. And I want to take you to Hebrews 4.15 to show you about the life that he lived. For we do not have a high priest. Y'all, that's Jesus. 
Do you believe Jesus is God? Thank you. All right. We do have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you can feel that pain, so has Christ. It's one of my, uh, I talk about it frequently. It's one of my favorite, my favorite um, songs by a band called My Epic. Um, The guy's dad left him. And his whole thing of like, he tells his conversion story. And he said the reason why he was converted to God is because literally a pastor one time preached on the cross. And how the Bible says, and then God the Father turned away. And he says in that moment, he goes, no, Jesus really can't understand what I've been through. Because all of my pain stems from the fact that my father left me. And it was literally at the revelation of that scripture that he fell to his knees and gave his life to God. And it's beautiful because when he saw, no, Jesus really can walk with me. And he really has experienced what I've experienced. And he lived the life I couldn't live. Because here's the beautiful thing. In that moment, Jesus went without God. Which, again, the logistics of that. Let's ask him in eternity. I don't even want to talk about it. Right? How does God, who is completely one, like, look away? My head head always hurts. Who needs drugs when you can just think about eternity? Right? It's like, whoa. Like, my God, I'm not even here anymore. Um, (laughs) That's like the Christian version of getting high nowadays. And like all the implications and your brain explodes and it's awesome. But the Bible says it's that awesome Jesus culture song, where you go, I go, what you say, I say. What you pray, I pray. That's actually from a Bible verse where Jesus says, I only do what I've seen the Father do. And so Jesus lived this life first, the life of, hey, it's actually possible for every step to be with the Father in mind. But in his final moments, he still went through the separation that we lived, right? Frankincense, a life of worship. Christ lived the life we couldn't live. And what I think is super interesting is the three steps of Christ's life. The three major steps. Well, there's four major steps, but, you know, we don't have, a Franken- we don't have a, an oil for resurrection, so we're not going to talk about it. Um, but um, in these four, four steps, what's really interesting is three out of the four steps is God, Jesus, doing something we couldn't do. But the most beautiful one is his death. And it's because of that one, he specifically did what we were supposed to do. So he did all the work that we couldn't do. And his reward is to die the death that was our job to die. It's like, you ever seen that episode of The Office? Where Michael Scott gets in trouble with his boss. And his boss goes, what do you want me to do, Michael? And then Michael goes, well, honestly, I want all the credit. And I want none of the, uh, I want none of the repercussions. Jesus literally did the opposite. (laughs) He did all the work and got all the trouble for it. Because at Jesus' death, as he was going up to the cross, they hand him myrrh. Because it's what they gave to dead men. And then when they put the oils on his body, and he was being embalmed or whatever the word is for the Jewish culture, they put myrrh on him. Myrrh has always been a symbol of death. You know, what's really interesting is that actually if you study myrrh, it's not always just been a symbol of death. It's specifically been a symbol of meekness as well. And what I find so powerful about that is that our God, the Bible says 
our God, the mighty warrior, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He didn't die as any of that. The Bible, when it describes the death of Jesus, always describes it as a sheep being led to slaughter. Meek, no arguments, just going. Our mighty warrior didn't fight. Our king didn't try to rule. He meekly went to death. First Peter 3.18. Y'all, make this like your verse for the year, like as far as memorizing this verse is fire. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So Christ suffered once for sins, him for us. Jesus for Wesley. And I won't say your names because people get uncomfortable. Jesus for Sadiqua. And they're like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, my God, how amazing. (laughs) But insert your name. uh, That he may bring us to God. That he may bring us to God. It wasn't the life or the birth that brought us to God. It was the death. It was the suffering that brought us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So he died the death we were supposed to die and became the first of the resurrections that now we get to live in also. For the Bible says to come alive in your spirit. If you go study the Christian resurrection, as in me as a Christian, when it teaches resurrection throughout the Bible, it's always teaching And I don't mean when Jesus literally resurrected. I just mean the theology on it throughout Paul's writings. It's always teaching about a spiritual rebirth. It's always preaching about it. I know my temptations. I know what I want to do. I know the person I've been. I know the places I've gone. But now I'm going to walk and actually transcend that. I'm going to walk beyond that. I'm not going to be held back by it. Because now I'm birthed by something that can't be held back by those things. And should we live the way Jesus lived... Right, so Jesus is born in a way we can't be born. Lives a life that we couldn't live. Dies the death we're supposed to die. Is the first in our resurrection and brings us alive. Now that we're alive, what does that mean? It means we're born in a way we couldn't be born. It gives us the opportunity to walk in a life that we couldn't walk. And then it lets us actually live. Jesus, pick up your cross and follow me. You can avoid the death if you just leave the body behind, is what Jesus is saying. So live in this for spiritual things, right? As Paul says, if anything is lovely, if anything is honorable, is anything of good report, think on these things. As I live for something greater, I, don't, I get to avoid that death. And it's been said, why were the apostles so willing to die when modern Christians are even afraid to take criticism? And I love what what most people answer as a theologian. I think Damon Thompson said it. And he said, uh, well, because when those men went to their crosses, they were already dead. That's beautiful. So I'm resurrected by Christ. I am born like he was born. I can now live like he lived. Amen? Amen. There's an old poem about Lazarus in closing. As Aaron comes up to the piano and makes this poem sound fresh. You know what I'm saying? 
There's an old poem about Lazarus, and I absolutely love it. If you see in the Bible when Lazarus was resurrected, the Bible says, dang it, I was really hoping, the Bible says, like, oh my God, it would be next level, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, Aaron's got to move quicker, like, what is he doing? Um, <laughs> it's like my new favorite joke, it's just to make fun of that. But isn't it like, you just feel like, you know, it's like, oh my God, Jesus is here. He's been here the whole time. Man, yeah, the Bible really is awesome. I really can die to myself. <laughs> when Lazarus was resurrected, the Bible teaches us that the Pharisees came and tried to put him to death. Yeah, which is like level 10 on denying the truth, right? Like this guy claims he's been resurrected. Let's kill him. And there's an old poem that asks, and I don't remember what the poem, how the poem goes. I, I couldn't find it, but I read it a long time ago in school. Um, but basically it asks the question of, do you think Lazarus was afraid? And what I love about that poem is that what it specifically says that Lazarus said this. This isn't in the Bible. It's just a cool thought. Poem specifically says that Lazarus would have looked at those people and say, haven't you heard? Death is dead. And I love that line because for the Christian, death is dead. The Bible says that Jesus took the keys of sin and death. That in the life of a Christian, death is dead. Our death will never be eternal. Our death never owns us. The Bible actually says that we look upon it with great expectation for we get to go be with our Lord. The Bible says that God revels, not revels, he enjoys, he loves. It says that he finds joy in the death of his saints. That's a scary Bible verse. Why does he find joy in the death of his saints? Because they get to come be with him, unhindered by hurt, unhindered by pain. That is God's deep desire for you. And what's so beautiful about the reminder of Jesus' death is now that I'm living the life that he lived, I get to ask the question, if God would prefer me be with him, why am I here now? What does he think is so important about my life that he would leave me here when he wants me with him? What is so before me? What opportunities do I still have? What greatness in the Lord is still in front of me if he's still giving me breath when he would prefer if I was with him? Be encouraged. Take a breath. That is the beginning of something. Celebrate it. It's a reminder I'm still called. I'm still chosen. I'm still bought with a high price. He still will glorify me. My work here isn't done. I'm still significant. And I still have a purpose. What is your purpose? Why would the God who, want you, who wants you next to him, why would he leave you here? How important are you? And how big is that thing on the other side of this trial? You're not just here to be tested. The test was placed on his son. 
You're here, as the Bible puts it, to go from glory to glory. If all that was left in your life was one more trial, I genuinely believe God would take you home now because you can learn that lesson in heaven. But from heaven, you couldn't do the thing he's called you to do. And so that means I believe by the nature and character of our God that there's still more for you to do on the other side of this trial, of this circumstance, of this struggle. And that is why as Christians, we celebrate the beginning of things. Because the beginning of things reminds me, if this was the end, I'd be home. That means that was just the beginning of something greater. Amen? I love you guys. I'm excited to see what this church becomes. Because a church is not a group of people. A church is a group of individuals, all with names, callings, and stories. And those names and calling and stories come together to make a body. I believe we are seeing the death of the superstar pastor. I genuinely do. It's not something I'm vying for. And the reason being is it's been proven time and time again, as soon as the superstar pastor passes away, he falls into sin, he hits a struggle, those movements are gone. And plus it proves the church never really understand who, understood who it was. It's not my job to be this big vision caster and then you all hold up my vision. It's my job as your pastor to create an atmosphere where your gifts can thrive. And sure, there are specific things we're going to do in this body. There are specific things we'll be doing in this church. And that means if God calls you here, your specific calling will fit, match that, and make it better. And so we're always constantly in a dichotomy of I'm living to serve where I'm at, but the place I'm at is also serving where I'm going. And how do I honor where I'm going while also still honoring where I'm at? It's the constant struggle and we fall between them. We become so submissive that we lose sight of the future. We become so about our future that you stopped being effective 10 months ago. And now you're just sitting and taking up space. I want you to know that for 2020, we do have a vision. We do have an idea for the year. And I believe that that vision will be in place to serve all of us towards our callings God has for us. And, and a question I want to ask people in the years to come, what are you called to do? Who are you called to be? First and foremost, I want this place to draw you closer to God and build your character so you can be that. And again, if you're ready for that calling now, it's probably not God, it's probably your own desires. Look to that thing that terrifies you and get ready for it. Amen. Again, at this message expectation expect so many people I've met people that'll say things like I feel like God's called me to be a missionary and that's why I have to go to the church up the street because you don't have missions here and I'm like well what if God was calling you to start our missions ministry well I want a youth group and there's no youth group well well, what if God's calling you to start a youth group here? Yeah. And we're so busy wanting to go to these places and get big immediately. Because I'll hand whatever people are looking for, but I will hold you to a standard and it will make you mad at me. 
but I promise you'll be better for it. Mark's laughing because we're going through that personally. It's a good time. <laughs> Who do you want to be? And where do you want to go? Take that breath. If it's from God and you're still here, you will get there. Don't be in a rush. There is no one in the world that is holding your calling and saying, I'll give it to him when he is when he's prepared he, I'll give it to this person when no one can hold your calling when God wants you to do it it's just going to happen amen I'm excited for our church Boulevard Church to serve you and what I mean by that is every individual in this room every other individual beside you in this room should actually have the heart to serve you but that then means that you have to have the heart to serve every individual in the room that is a church this isn't just, where are my stepping stones? But let's be honest, how can I be someone else's stepping stone? How can I be the thing that someone else needs to get to where they're going? I love this church. I love you guys. I am so excited for the year to come. Listen, I, like I said, I'm not preaching on it until the third week in January. But, and as goofy as this may sound, because like I prayed desperately, God, I do not want the vision for 2020 to be vision and it so is. It's ridiculous. Vision always comes at the beginning of something, not at the end. And that's what's so awesome. It's because vision is always the beginning of something. And again, that's why I say if God has given you a vision, it should be way too big for your at. Because vision comes at the beginning of a journey, not in the middle or at the end. It comes in the beginning of a journey. It looks impossible. And so I do believe for the year 2020, the Boulevard Church's mission is going to be vision. How can we as individuals pick up the vision of this church? And how can the church's vision serve the individuals? That is the mission and statement of the year. Amen? Amen. And if you can't pick up what's being thrown down, it just means you're called somewhere else. Or you're called to submit and you don't want to. <laughs> Pray about it. <laughs> But what I really believe is this concept that we've been taught to be so afraid of, I think culture is going to be a big deal in this church. Who are we and what are we about? We're breaking into groups this year. Uh, forgive me for being a bit ahead of myself because 15 minutes passed a long time ago. <laughs> I didn't really believe it would be 15. Um, Sunday service, a place to grow the saints. Groups, a place to get intimate and truly find your calling and get connected. Kids ministry, a place to begin your journey. And evangelism, a place to walk in your destiny and take other people to the beginning of their journey. Those are the four great pursuits of Boulevard Church next year. We want killer Sunday services, a killer kids ministry, killer other thing, I'm kidding, killer groups. Uh, it says Boulevard groups in the news. We're calling them uh, actually neighborhood groups. Uh, I'm, being, I'm being really charismatic because the boulevard's a street and there's many neighborhoods on the street. <laughs> so neighborhood groups. Um, and then lastly is outreach. How can we serve the city? And how can we serve those who are lost? Uh, because in case it hasn't been properly communicated, this church will live and die on three pillars. A personal relationship with God. An intimate and tight-knit community and uh, reaching those who are lost or evangelism. Those are the three great 
pursuits of any Christian, honestly. And so they're going to be the great pursuits of this church. How can we help you get closer to God? And how can I help others get closer to God? How can we serve you individually? And how can I serve other people individually? And how can I reach those that are lost and help them fall into that cycle? I've, I've preached on this before, a cycle of righteousness. I believe as we draw closer to God, we draw closer to his bride. As we draw closer to his bride and see her beauty, we want others to come and get involved. And then what that creates is other people get involved, they draw closer to Christ and grow closer to her bride and want to see other people. And what I do is I believe it creates a tornado or a twister or a cycle of righteousness that just produces good works consistently and constantly in us and in the people around us. So I'm excited for the year to come. Um, in February, I'll be preaching on knowing God personally, exclusively for the month. In March, I'll be preaching on the importance of community exclusively for the month. I'm going to use a really popular church title, Heart for the House, or I Love My Church, because I think it's important to love your church. <laughs> and lastly, I'll be preaching exclusively January, February, March, April, in April, well, January, February, March, yeah, April, my gosh. In April, I'll be preaching exclusively on evangelism or being on your street and in your city. <laughs> That's the thing that they say all the time. Um, it's like when the title of the movie is in the movie. I love you guys. I hope you have a blessed, blessed year. <laughs> See you next decade. I'm a dad now. I get to make dad jokes. I already made them anyway, but now I have an excuse. I genuinely love you guys. Uh, I pray that you guys draw closer to each other. I pray that you guys would give more opportunities to see others. I pray you would actually be in prayer about our small groups. Um, I do genuinely believe, and call this vision casting, I think we'll shift to two services next year. Not right off the bat, but I think it's going to happen. And, and something that I really want for us to do is I want us to be a, a small church with a lot of people. As in, even when there's a thousand of us, we're still a small church. Because uh, neighborhood groups or groups in specific will become the main drive of this church. Because this is cool, but talking together is better. You know, you know what they say, fasting is good, but eating is better. And uh, I, think, I think preaching is good, <laughs> but talking to each other is better. Y'all should still fast. That was a joke, but it is better to eat. Um, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for everyone in this room. I got to thank you for opportunities like this week where we could stop looking introvertly and look out at just how good you are. God, we thank you for your birth. We thank you for its perfection. We thank you that in your fullness, you didn't think it was robbery to step down and be like us, Father God. We thank you that the crown jewel of heaven came and walked among us, Father God. And God, we thank you for living the life that we could not live without you. And I thank you for dying the death that was meant for us, Lord. I pray we would not lose sight of these things. We would be excited because, God, though you want us with you, you still give us breath. And so, therefore, you still have a call for us. And I pray that these breaths would not go to waste. They would, give it, they would be given back to you in worship and in joy with all righteousness and holiness, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that have a great year. And God, I pray you begin to place vision upon their hearts 
for their role in this place in 2020. For Lord, I never want us to be a church that lives and dies off of five or six people. But I want God, however many people you give us, that to be how many visions this church runs with, Lord. Lord, we love you. I pray you'd give us wisdom in navigating that. Wisdom in how we navigate each other. That God, we would take ownership of this building, of this people, of our family that you gave us, God. For Lord, we could not, <laughs> we could not choose our family. But once we were born again, God, you picked this family for us. And I thank you for Boulevard Church. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.